0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 343, just happy to be here, recorded November 18th, 2018, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I'm your host, Mark, the sultan of the soapbox cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Seth, the gooey kid, Anderson, and Miles, the aussie Engineer. Wakeham.
1: Hello, gentlemen. Howdy, Mark, and welcome, faithful opiates. Gobble, gobble, geeks.
0: Yes, it is. In fact, Turkey Week, giant inflatable things will be being towed down city blocks in the near future.
1: You know, it is about time we expanded Thanksgiving to be more than just one day. It needs its own, you know, holiday creep.
2: (laughs) I think most people, like, take this week off and then turn it into a whole, what is that, nine-day extravaganza if you were to go back to last Saturday and run it all the way through the week and back into the following Sunday. It's a good way to get some free vacation. I work with a number of people
0: who are taking all next week off. My kids are out of school all next week. My wife, who also works in the school system, is out all next week. I will be taking three days off uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Uh, so, yeah, it is becoming a holiday week.
2: Yay, go holidays. Yeah, we used to use it for doing um, travel like overseas, um, which is not really something very American, you know, for Thanksgiving. But it's a great way to actually find really, really cheap international flights out because uh, everyone's traveling domestic in. So you can kind of avoid it.
1: mm-.
0: Yeah, one of the busiest travel days of the year will be uh, Wednesday, Uh, one of the highest, always a record high in terms of highway fatalities, so that's something to look forward to. Uh, Those of you in other countries that have already had your Thanksgiving or don't even know what we're talking about, um, it's very simple. It's a holiday where we allegedly uh, or nominally give thanks um Not necessarily to any particular entity or for, for any particular thing, just give thanks. Um,
1: and whenever we say give thanks that's mean that means giving thanks before you gorge yourself in a, enough food to last a week in the course of a meal yeah. and then you eat dessert on top of that. So that's what we mean by giving thanks in America.
2: And, and it does kick off the entire holiday season. Uh, so from here on out, it's uh, shop, shop, shop until you drop.
0: Yeah, we talked about that last week. Black Friday is now Black November, pretty much. Um, we're already seeing right. things online. Uh, uh, it's 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 interesting how we 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 Americans are gifted at commercializing anything, right? So the 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 original Thanksgiving was the Pilgrims at Plymouth Rock who had come to this country to. Uh, um, You know, invade the natives and uh, and dominate them in whatever, depending on whatever social, socially proper uh, narrative you prefer this year. Um, But most of them died. uh, Like most of, as in like eighty percent of them died within the first year. And then when they made it through that first winter, and then had a bountiful harvest that fall, they set aside and gave thanks and they because they had just had a, b- a bountiful harvest they had plenty of food so the the holiday literally began with stuffing your face it, it's not something we've co-opted to become stuffing your face that's what it began but they gave thanks to their god who, for getting them through the winter and for um, not letting them starve and these people who were clerks and baggage men and you know and, and servants uh, in the old world became farmers in the new world and it was not an easy thing for them to learn how to do Sometime later, um, it then became a national holiday, um, and I believe Lincoln wrote the original declaration, and it was, in fact, a call to give thanks to God, but we don't talk about that now. Um, it's just a day to say thanks for, you know, whatever. and But the food is, is all still there.
1: Okay, I just had, this is just a totally off-the-wall thought, just as a result of your... Um Oversimplification, but pretty accurate thing of the first Thanksgiving. What if the only reason it was bountiful was because of all the people who had died? So, would it truly have been a bountiful harvest if there had been twice as many mouths to feed? Anyway, I just a random thought. I don't know why I came up with that while you were talking, but that's um, that's what happens when I try to listen to you. Weird stuff yeah. pops well, into my brain. You know,
0: that's the Thanos philosophy, right? They they, they yeah. know only plenty and good because more than half of them died.
1: You know, right? You guys got a point. Yep. And, uh, see, oh man, it's too early for the transition, but man, I had a great one for you. So, <laughs> well,
0: okay. Um, so I, just a, a couple of other notable things that have happened this week. Uh, people are dying happens every day. In fact, I, I, I Googled people who died this week and came up with a long list of people, but, uh, the, the three people who directly impacted my life in one way or another, Stanley, of course, the, the, creator of the mcu died this week at 95 kind of hard to be mad when a guy you know lived to be 95 uh, and you know achieved everything he ever set out to be and had an amazing life uh so you know goodbye stan lee uh roy clark uh if you grew up in the south in the 70s you know roy clark from hee haw uh and if you didn't um you know it's probably a blessing uh, but he was he was a virtuoso on the acoustic guitar. Uh, arthritis took that from him years ago, but he was still a vocalist extraordinaire uh, and performing up until very recently. And then something that is personally uh, endearing to me, uh, near and dear to my own heart, uh, William Goldman, author and screenwriter, uh, who wrote uh, the book that became my favorite movie of all time, Princess Bride. He also wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, died this week at uh, 95 85 and 87 i believe are are there were their ages respectively so
1: all of them had pretty good runs yeah that's true and yeah i mean those are i loved hee-haw man i just but again simple man simple pleasures hee-haw was an awesome way to spend an hour of your day because it,
2: it was just it was funny and fun I tell you what, if I could get to eighty-five, I'd be pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, somebody recently
0: asked, in, you know, in just one of those sort of group conversations, like, "What is what is the age at which you you hope to die?" And I thought, yeah, eighty-five—that's about right. If I can get to eighty-five and be healthy, you know, at eighty-five, you know, so obviously none of these guys were perfectly healthy; otherwise, they wouldn't have died. But they were functional, and you know, and living the life they wanted to live up until very uh, shortly before their deaths. And uh, yeah, 85, that seems like a pretty good number. Uh, f- yeah. I got 40, 39 more years.
1: Man, we're getting old.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and if I, can, if I can be functional and virile and still have my mind and, and be doing things I love for 39 more years, I, I, I can't have a complaint in the world about that. Nope, yeah. What I can complain about a lot, however, is Ant-Man and the Wasp. So I only watched this movie because my my middle child, my fourteen year old, is big into the MCU right now, and she was begging me to take her to the theater, and I just wouldn't do it. Um, I offered to pay for her to go with a friend, but it, that didn't work out. I just I was not going to see this movie in the theaters. I didn't like the first one. Um, I went into the second one going. I went into it knowing I wasn't going to like it, which may have soured it on me, uh, soured me on it in the first place. But it's just more of the same. Of uh, I mean, I understand it's a comic book. Movie and you have to suspend your your logic centers of your brain for a good part of it. But even having done that, it wasn't a good movie. It wasn't fun. I felt everything was predictable and boring, um, and I just didn't enjoy the movie in any way. And I've heard people who I generally agree with say it was you know the, it was the, a really fun movie. I Enjoyed it. It was better than the second the first one. I just thought it was terrible all the way around. So there's my review of Ant Man and the Wasp. It's terrible in every way.
1: I, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to defend it as being a great movie, but it was better than that. It was it, the visuals in the movie were really good. The story was really subpar. Um, the actually the bonus scene at the end was phenomenal uh so i really enjoyed that but yeah it was it was a little out there some of the sight gags i thought were funny they don't really explain how they worked or why they worked but and the whole little sub uh, the one thing that was cool was how they you know kind of weaved in the trying to learn magic and stuff so there were some mildly funny things not a great movie but it wasn't quite that bad mark okay
0: you know i i got two words for you seth king vitamin that's all I have to say about
1: that. <laughs> Highly underrated cereal. <laughs> Highly underrated. Um, it was it was well worth it. So, man. Eh.
0: So, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, Miles, I assume you haven't seen it because this isn't your cup of tea.
2: No. Yeah. No, I was thinking what sort of movies have I seen or I haven't seen. Are you really, I really don't get out much. Um, the one thing I would like to see is that Bohemian Rhapsody movie. I would too. Yes, but other than that, no, I'm not a participant in the movie uh, gala experience. Yeah.
0: Um. So another movie that I watched this week because I have kids was Hotel Transylvania three. Um, the first one I thought was enjoyable. It was a novel plot. It was it was clever. The jokes were you know they were kind of de- of slapstick, but it was worthwhile. The second one, um, you know, had some touching heartwarming sort of family moments. The third one was just a money grab. <laughs> it Just was. It was not it didn't have any of the charm of the first one, didn't have any of the wit of the second one. It was just a way to make more money off of of what's his name playing Dracula? What's his name? Uh, Adam Sam. That's the one. Yeah. So, there's my review of that.
1: Yeah, I hadn't seen the first two so I had really no desire to see the third one. Yeah.
0: Only because I have kids. And, right. you know, it was on Netflix. Uh, yeah. And then the third movie, again, Netflix, that, uh, you know, I've, I've given negative review, negative review. So let me sh- uh, change it up and give a negative review of <laughs> The Palette of Buster Scruggs. I, I was just flipping through, you know, the stuff you might want to watch on Netflix. This thing came up. Uh, uh, it's got uh, one of the guys from Oh Brother Where Art Thou is is in one of the first uh Intro scenes, uh, and it looks like it's going to be uh, sort of a, a a send up like um, Rustler's Rhapsody was back in the day. I think that was Tom Berenger going way back. Um, it's uh, done by the Cohen brothers. Uh, Cohen brothers did Raising Arizona, um, and you know they're they're going in. My wife and I were just sort of sitting on the couch looking for something to watch on a cold, uh, uh, rainy day, and we looked at each other and said, "We know this is going to be weird." You know, that's just a given. It's the Coen brothers. It's going to be weird, but it could be interesting, weird. And essentially it's six vignettes over two plus hours, uh, that take place all in the old West. They're not in any way related to one another. Uh, they're just old West stories. Uh, and it's Coen brothers, weird. It's modern Netflix bloody. I don't know why everything on Netflix today has to be gratuitously, gratuitously bloody with, you know, heads exploding and stuff. Um, about uh, halfway through it, I paused it and looked at my wife and said, do we want to subject ourselves to another hour of this? I'm not really sure. And in the end, we just sort of decided, all right, we'll stick it out. So uh, it wasn't a miserable experience, um, but I don't have any better to say about it than that. Really good people, James Franco, Tom Waits, um, and, uh, you know, re- really good actors, uh, doing really weird stuff. Um, if that, if, if that appeals to you, good actors doing weird stuff, then it's for you. Just wasn't for me. Huh.
1: I've I've never heard of it and since I don't have Netflix I don't really think I'll be watching it anytime yeah, soon. It's
0: a Netflix original. That's why you haven't heard of it. And it just came out this week. So it's uh, it's a brand new Netflix original.
1: Okay. Well I will uh I'll follow that away because it has a title that is like you know, okay, that looks kinda like it would be up my alley. So but yeah. based on your recommendation, eh probably I mean not one I want to watch. One of the vignettes
0: Spoiler alert. Just accept the fact that I'm ruining one of the six storylines. Um, Features Tom Waits, the the singer, by the way. Uh, He's a prospector. He comes upon this river in the valley. It looks like maybe Montana or or maybe Northern California. And he gets a a hankering, uh, an idea that there might be some gold there. He spends uh, several days finding some gold, a good chunk of gold. And just as he's digging it out... A guy shoots him in the back, but doesn't actually kill him. So then they have a fight, and then he kills the guy that shoots him in the back, digs up the gold, and and leaves. That's the story.
1: Awesome. Sounds, uh, I mean... He- Dude, you talk about it. you. You could probably do that with every movie and just oversimplify, and you know, and just make oh, that's the greatest movie ever. Yeah, this guy goes on a treasure hunt, kills a bandit, and gets the treasure.
0: No, I'm what, ah! I, what I'm telling you. I, I'm not oversimplifying. That's it. There were 15 lines of dialogue in the whole movie, in the whole vignette. It was, I mean, it was beautifully shot. Lots of animal shots, and and the sort of moral of it is that. You know, when the men left, nature reclaimed the area. You know, that's sort of the the, the thing. But it's just it's just weird. Cohen Brothers weird. Anyway, I can you thought, thought the, the moral pitch of it was, meeting
2: at the movie studio
1: for that. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the moral of the story was always double tap.
0: Yes, something like that. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, there's that. Um, and then Seth, you want to talk about a movie that I don't know what you're talking about? So Overlord.
1: Okay, okay, so. Um, I decided to treat myself today to wing stop in a movie after church. So I'm sitting in Wingstop it, watching the Cowboys play a lackluster game, but I mean that's standard fare. But hey, they won. But and then so I was like, I pull out my phone, bring up. I was like, okay, it's almost one. What movie can I see in this time frame? Because I'm not gonna stick around because I have the podcast to not do any prep for when I get back. And then <laughs> so it's like twelve fifty five and I'm scrolling through and I was like, Overlord, that's is that Operation Overlord D Day? So I click on it and it's uh, it's paratroopers going in to support the Normandy landing and Nazi zombies. And I was like, okay, Ah. well, I know what. I know what movie I'm going to see. It doesn't matter what else is playing. I'm going to see a world war II operation overlord movie involving Nazi Nazi zombies. So, uh, and it has a JJ Abrams is the producer, I believe so, but I had never heard of it at all until this movie. And it's not going to be a box office smash by any means, but it was, uh, it was interesting and it was, it was good. There wasn't, Tons of zombies, you know, because they had to stop them from getting out. But it was an interesting concept. And, I mean, you know, obviously you can only watch, you know, Saving Private Ryan and um, Band of Brothers for, you know, so you're not going to outdo the realism that's been out there recently. But I thought it was an interesting movie. So if you want to see... Um, you know what the, the, and who knows this, maybe this is the true history. Yeah. We, the whole reason we invaded when we did was before the Nazis could mass produce their zombies. So, um, but anyway, so, uh, spoiler alert, the Americans win. Um, and then it just, so the entire movie covers, like that takes place in the course of like 24 hours, um. But an interesting movie. Um, I like war movies. I like zombie stuff, and uh, so of course I was all in for Overlord.
0: So did it end with a close up of like some undead hand twitching, so that you know that there's room for a sequel later?
1: No, um, it was just like you know they had. Um, well, you know I don't want to do any spoilers, but no, it it ended with the the surviving um american paratroopers keeping the secret and being dispersed to another unit to continue the fight so you know they're burying history so that the americans won't dig it up and do something stupid later
0: so. because once you learn to weaponize zombies warfare right. has
1: changed right, right. <laughs> i mean you know it was just like i was just looking through and i was like overlord and i was yeah. like that, Nazi zombies. If I've I, okay.
0: ever heard a Seth movie, that's it. That is the Seth movie of Seth. It's World War II history and zombies. Yeah.
1: I, yeah I, I just recently bought a trilogy of zombie books that were in, they were in the fiction, but not the science fiction, which was weird. Um, and then I also recently listened to the entire pandemic audiobook yesterday while uh, I was on call for work. So I just picked up uh, zombies and pandemics again after, you know, laying them aside for a while to kind of clear my head. And now I'm jumping right back.
0: in. Yeah. The only thing that would have made that a more Seth movie is if the zombies had been from space and they were tinkering with earth's timeline so that they could conquer it in the future.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, yeah, that, I don't know. No, that, that would just be, that would be unrealistic. Mark. Come on. (laughs) Um, and just following up
0: on a little bit from last week, Georgia has a governor. Um, you know, it was too close to call. Uh, as we were speaking last week, uh, the loser uh, of the, uh, excuse me, the uh, um, the non-victorious uh, candidate uh, gave a scathing uh, speech that she uh, explicitly said was not a concession, uh, and said that uh, the guy who won is the legal governor, but not the rightful governor. So it was really just all kinds of hissy fit throwing. In the form of politics but in the end she decided that uh, well it was decided she didn't have anything to do with it it was decided that even if all of the so called contested votes had been in her favor mathematically she could not have pushed uh, forced a runoff so we have a governor and we also have really bad behavior on the part of politicians
1: no what bad behavior (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't know. You know, I, I feel bad because the the five boxes of Georgia ballots I found behind my house, I never turned right. those in, so it's all my fault.
0: <laughs> and uh, and you have uh, a senator in Arizona,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, the first time for, I've been living in Arizona for sixteen years, and the first time I remember this place being uh, a reasonable state. I guess in the last 12 months, we have a history of, you know, McCain being reasonable and then Jeff Flake being reasonable-ish, um, which is probably a good thing. Well, we got a new senator, a Democrat, for the first time in 30 years, something like that, and the weird thing is that our, the other candidate, a Republican Um, Martha McSally, who was, I think, one of the first Air Force uh, pilots, um, anyway, to fly in combat, she gave this concession speech that was unbelievably good. She actually did the right thing. And what? (laughs) (laughs) and so we're all kind of in shock here because it's like uh, i think that the ghost of john mccain is floating around somewhere trying to tell people to behave themselves here or something but i don't know maybe maybe there's some hope i don't do we need to call her and remind her what country we're in (laughs) i mean how
1: politics are supposed to work here in america yeah i know
2: what's up with that (laughs)
0: Uh, Florida finally managed to certify their election, uh, still without counting the votes, depending on who you ask. They just went ahead and certified it. One of my favorite quotes that came out of that was from one of the people saying, you know, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but it was essentially, you know, you're all making me look like an idiot. Um, No, you're making yourself look like an idiot. We're just reporting what's happening here. Uh, (laughs) You had 18 years to learn how to count ballots and you haven't figured it out yet. Uh, Broward County. But
1: it, at least it wasn't a hanging chad, right? So at least yeah. that.
2: that. That sounds like a medical condition.
0: There's you know, something <laughs> you wouldn't want on you. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, so uh, sticking with the media thing, uh, you uh, want to recommend a, a uh, movie or video of some sort? Uh, Miles? Yeah, uh,
2: yeah it's a, um, a well, Stan Lee got all the headlines this week you know obviously the guy died but what his contribution to social culture is amazing but um what people often forget is that he was not the only creator of marvel's you know heroic um uh, you know Spider and and so on back in the day he worked with a couple of other guys and one particular guy he worked with was a guy by the name of steve ditko And when I saw Stan Lee passing this week, uh, it reminded me of a documentary that was done probably 10 years ago by uh, the BBC. A guy by the name of Jonathan Ross did it. He's a big comic book fan. And uh, lo and behold, I found it, uh, the whole thing is on YouTube. So if you're ever interested in um, finding out a little bit about what happened back in the day when Stan Lee and the gang We're creating uh, all this stuff. Um, Check out a YouTube video um, titled In Search of Steve Ditko. That's D-I-T-K-O. And uh, you might enjoy it. Uh, I found it really good. And I'm not a comic book guy, but I really enjoyed this uh, documentary. So give it a shot.
0: And Steve Ditko was sort of a staff writer. Uh, and was uh, I'm reading his Wikipedia. He, he died in June, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, he was tasked with creating Spider-Man. So Stanley had a, had the idea of sort of a a teenage uh, superhero, and that he would have spider type powers. Uh, and then Ditko sort of filled in the blank. So you know, he, he, depending on how you want to read that, he either created Spider-Man or co-created Spider-Man, and then also he uh, was one of the. Uh, Primary forces behind uh, Doctor Strange. So,
2: yeah. I mean, the thing that's really cool about this documentary is it's not just about his history, it's a story about having to try and find the guy. And it's almost like a private investigator type thing. Um, Really enjoyable. I I thoroughly uh, remember loving this thing. So, give it a shot.
0: All right. Uh, And then. By by the way, listener, if you can't tell, this is an absolute hodgepodge of an episode. We just decided to get together and just talk about stuff. Um, It's a holiday weekend, so, you know, you get what you get. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But I am interested in the Pirate Ship
2: Museum, Miles. Oh, yeah. So we went back a couple of weeks. We didn't do a show a couple of weeks back. And I'm to blame. I was in Cape Cod. Uh, for the weekend, uh, visiting some friends. And uh, they introduced me to this place. uh, It was a museum for the only um, recovered pirate ship wreck uh, ever, apparently. Uh, It was a ship off the Cape Cod coast called the Widder. And apparently it was originally a slave ship that was used to transport slaves from Africa uh, through to uh, the Caribbean and then onto a you know a, a America, but uh, it was taken over by pirates, and <clears throat> this ship was apparently quite legendary for scuttling a lot of other ships, and um, they it was sunk off the coast of Cape Cod, and apparently in the eighties some guy found it, and I I love these like treasure quest kind of things. that's I don't know why, but I just sort of gravitate towards this stuff. So uh, a a friend of mine said, have you seen this museum to this pirate ship? I'm like, no. So we went there and I tell you why, it was a lot of fun. Um, Really well done, real nice presentation. Uh, But you go in there, you actually see the true, you know, bounty of what was on these ships Uh, And the, you know, the cannons and the tools and the anchors and all the stuff that survives under the ocean. Uh, But you actually see real, like, doubloons and and real silver and all the stuff that was looted uh, as this ship had, you know, done its bad deeds Um, and the whole story behind the whole thing. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, So, yeah, I think it's it's in uh, Hyannis. Uh, just in Cape Cod and it's the Wither W H Y D A H and it's a museum for it. So if you're in the in the area, check it out.
0: All right. Not exactly ah. universally available, but uh if you're in the area. Mm. I like that sort of stuff. I like museums in general. Uh one of my favorite things to do in a museum is uh try to work out how much how much they're guessing at. You know, because all museums do this, right? You see, the this giant dinosaur bone, and uh, or dinosaur skeleton, and you realize that like three of those bones are real, and they put the rest of them together, you know, by guessing, or when you see the, you know the well, anything, you know, you're we're, they're ed- educated guesses, but they are guesses. So I, I like to sort of look at museums from that context. Like, how much of this do they just make up? You know, intelligent making up, educated making up, but it's still making it up.
2: Yeah. well what. what? I've been lucky enough to see there are two real museums that have been legendary to me. One was the British Museum in London. Incredible. I actually saw, you know, stuff from, oh, my gosh, uh, back in the in the days of uh, Tigris and Euphrates and all that stuff going all the way back. They rescued a lot of the stuff out of Iraq uh, before it was looted. And it was all on display there. The Rosetta Stone was there. Uh, I actually stood next to the um, mummy of, uh, who was it? Uh, Nefertiti, I think. Um, Anyway, incredible museum. That was great. But surprisingly, the best museum I've ever been to is in Mexico City. It's the Museum of Anthropology. If you ever want to see huh. Mayan and Aztec culture, that place rocks. It's huge. It's going to take you all day to get through it. But um, absolutely amazing. That would be cool to see. Yeah.
0: yeah. We're not all the world travelers that you are, Miles. But uh, I can yeah, live It's only a two-hour
2: flight down to Mexico City. It's an easy one.
0: <laughs> um, let's see. That's all I had to complain about uh, this week. Uh, miles had a couple of news articles. I think miles put those there.
2: Uh, no, that I would did. be Seth,
0: Okay. Um, cause Seth had said he didn't have anything.
2: Um, well,
1: go ahead. I found some stuff. All right. So I just, I mean, we don't have to talk about it. I just, you know, it, I mean, since we were kind of doing this show the way we used to do it, remember I used to load up on news articles that That's we never true. would talk about. So had to put some in there.
0: Well, you know, we all know Comcast as a company is, you know, evil. Uh, that's a that's common knowledge, and and we all know that they uh, a large part of their um, I'm I can't even keep it up. Uh, Comcast sucks, and, and now the uh, you know the legal system agrees, and they have to pay yes. almost a million dollars, a million dollars, which is what they could scrape off the bottom of their shoe.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's only for um, Mass. I always butcher the name Massachusetts. Ugh. So anyway, uh, the great state of. Massachusetts. Anyway, as you can tell, I'm from East (laughs) Texas and speaking, I spent more time reading than I did talking growing up, so that's why I can't pronounce it. But yes, they had to agree to pay $70,000 in refunds because of deceptive advertising practices. So what they would do is they would lock you in. To, uh, you know, hey, two years, we won't raise the price of your contract, but in small print, but we might raise the price of the fees associated with that contract. So then once they jack the fees up and you downgrade to a more manageable level, you then have to pay an early termination fee of $240 to break the contract after they technically broke it by changing the the fee structure. And so the AG said um yeah that's wrong you're going to have to uh cancel debts for more than 20,000 customers and pay 70 or 700,000 in refunds. So, you know, that's that's generic espresso for a month, guys. Got to make that money back. Yeah.
0: And you know, in in classic corporate fashion, quote Comcast settled the case despite saying it disagreed with the allegations. <laughs> Comcast said in a statement to Ars Technica, uh, "Today's settlement with Massachusetts Attorney General's offices reflects our ongoing efforts to improve the customer experience. While we disagree with the allegations in the settlement, which relate to years-old advertisements and do not reflect Comcast's current policies and practices, we are committed to partnering with the Attorney General, with Attorney General Haley, and others who share our commitment to improving the experience for our customers in all respects."
1: I know it kind of made me throw up in my mouth a little bit when I read that. So um, I didn't want to say it. It's, it's a well.
0: classic case of speaking without saying anything.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. What what are you going to say? Yep, we were ripping people off and we got caught. Darn it, we're just going to do better next time. You know, well, we tried really hard whenever we negotiated those contracts. And, you know, could you just imagine if, like, there was a reporter going around the Comcast employees, the way you talk to the NFL teams? And I'm speaking with Joe in accounting, and Joe had this really good brainstorm. And then we ran it through legal, and I'm here with Bob in the legal department, and he's like, well, Sarah, we thought that since uh, we put an asterisk there and we developed this 0.75 font that clearly explained everything, if you were an expert in Mandarin Chinese, that we would be covered by the legal recourses of this case as it worked its way through. And then, you know, well, Vice President so-and-so, what do you think about this? Well, the lawyers had to get paid anyway, so we might as well do this cash grab. And we got caught this time back to the drawing board, got a long season ahead of us, Susan, and we're going to do better next time. So that would just be that would be a great way to do these type of news stories if we ever put thought into this. So, anyway, what do you think? Would that be a good way to maybe do news stories in the future?
0: Um, that sounds like a great <laughs> deal of effort and time.
2: I know, but it was funny in my mind. Yeah, so no, it's,
0: yum. it was enjoyable listening to it, and sure. I, uh,
2: I got to give I got to give props to the Attorney General's Department. Uh, well, I don't know about other states, I can only even talk to Arizona, but most of the time you hear these stories about the big corporations sort of, you know, screwing over the little guy and so on. Um, but we actually, for the first time, I, I've got to say, Arizona's Attorney General's Department rocks. They've got this uh, service for residents in the state, if you've got some grievance, you can actually file it online with the Attorney General's Department. And I and I had this issue with a particular website in another state that was um, not... Okay, so if you've ever had to Google yourself, and I don't do this, that's not a thing I normally do, but I found out that uh, a lot of these websites out there have your private information publicly available on Google, right? So if somebody Googles you, they can find out where you live and your phone numbers and all this sort of stuff and your family and it's, it's pretty bad. Well, you can usually go to those websites and request to be removed from them, right? And there are even services out there that will do that for you. You can pay a couple hundred dollars a year and these services will erase you from these public websites, um, so I tried doing that and, uh, cause I'm kind of a private person. I don't really want to put myself out there so much. Anyway, um, I cleaned all this stuff up with one of these services that got rid of it all for me, except for this one website called whitepages.com. Okay. If you ever try to get yourself off whitepages.com, good luck. It won't work. And I tried and tried and tried. And, you know, it was the last one of a long amount of effort to do it. Couldn't do it. I ended up contacting the um, Arizona Attorney General's Department and filed a complaint uh, against whitepages.com for not removing um, information on request. And I've got to tell you, a couple of weeks ago, I got a notice from the uh, ATG. They removed me. And I checked it, and lo and behold, it actually worked. So, I don't know, when I hear about the Attorney General's Department in states suing these corporations, uh, most of the time it doesn't actually land on our desk, you know, we're not beneficiaries directly. Um, But I've got to tell you, in this particular case, it does work. So, maybe, you know, contact your state Attorney General's Department if you've got some sort of a grievance like that and you might find they actually can help you out. Cool.
0: Yeah, that is sort of their job, right? The, the attorney general is to represent the the uh, the general populace, hence the term attorney general, uh, mm-hmm. in, in all things, you know, state-based law. So, yeah.
2: Well, you know, it's going to be something that comes up probably on our radar in the next few months with this whole privacy stuff, particularly what they did in Europe uh, to try to allow people to remove themselves off the internet, per se, Um it sounds to me like California's going ahead with the same sort of laws. Uh, and we're going to start to see this stuff coming into our normal uh, domain. So, yeah, it's all good.
0: Yeah, and, and continuing on that, uh, when, when your attorney general can't um, speak on your behalf because it's not yet illegal, that's what we have the Senate for. And the Senate is using their time and our money effectively to by taking on really one of the most important issues of our time, and that is machines that call you.
1: Um yes, robocalling is a thing and it sucks. Um although I did find a way to get them to hang up really fast because every day right about it's about nine o'clock I get a call. Um for either auto insurance or a call telling me this is not a solicitation that then goes on to something but i would answer the phone and i would say sheriff's department fraud division and then i just hear i hear nothing and the call hangs up (laughs) um and then and then i tried i was like how are we just gonna be so i went fbi and uh and again it hung up so but anyway it was fun just to do that but yeah so this is a now this is a case of the senate a bipartisan deal from the senate so that tells you that their campaign coffers are extremely depleted after this um uh, money intensive election cycle so they are putting the calls out to their corporate sponsors saying hey we need more money so that we can effectively represent the needs of the people um, you know, because we'll tell them what they need. And so this bill, the traced act, um, that they are coming out with is, will. I don't know what they're going to do because I just, I honestly don't, but supposedly it's going to up the fines and it's going to make something illegal. But again, you know, how are you going to do it? So I don't know how they're going to enforce it. But hey, you know, there is that rule out there that criminals will break no more than 18 separate laws at any one time. So we get a few more of these in the books and we might actually start to make a dent in the robo calling. I hate it because they, they now they spoof your number. And so they spoof the area code and that three digit. And it's only the last four digits are the same. And you can't go into blocking those because eventually you're going to have every number in the phone book blocked. So, um, I just wish they quit spoofing and show me because it's like, When I hear the phone and it's a robo, you know, your student loan debt is out of control or, hey, we can save you money on our insurance or we're calling about your credit card debt, you know, or this is, I mean, it's just like, you know, one second into the call and you're going to hang up and you're not going to pay attention. But yet, because one in 1000 people do, that's all it takes because robo calling is so cheap. So we have the power to end robo calling if we would stop responding to them. So but since
2: we're not, you know, hey, the Senate's gonna try it for us. Go Senate. We gotta do something. I mean it's getting out of control. We yep. we signed up for a thing called Nomo Robo. Uh for my wife mainly for her cell phone. Um it helped, maybe fifty percent dropped it it's a thing you're an app you put on your phone and when the call comes in it looks up the number it's coming from and it is it knows it's a reported number for robocalling it'll either block it or it will alert you on the screen of the phone that this is a robocall so you can not answer it um yeah, it was it was worth it i mean it wasn't i think it was like 10 bucks or something for the year it wasn't expensive but uh, might be worth looking at. No more Robo. Well, the
0: Google Dialer does that. If you if you just download the Google Dialer, it comes on any uh, pure Google phone as well, like the Pixel or whatever. But you can download it. Uh, it uses Google's database to do a reverse lookup and let you know if a call is suspected spam. But I mean, this is the same. It's the email problem, you know. Uh, the The problem is that because Google owns. I'm making this number up, 70% of all mail on the planet, they have become just amazing at filtering email. And and while there's still uh, millions, probably billions of spam messages every day being sent, very few of us actually see them because Google and, and other companies like that, the Bayesian filters, the, the things have gotten so good at it. So spam has become not effective. In, uh, spam mail has become not effective, and and it was like you know Seth, you said one in a thousand for emails. It was like 00001 percent. If you get one responder out of ten million, it's worthwhile. But you know we've solved that problem more or less. Uh, it's it's now just internet background radiation, um, and so they've got to go somewhere else. And and previous to you know the last ten years, making phone calls was too expensive because you had to have real numbers, and you. But now with with voice over IP and and other technologies making it so much easier. Yeah. It's just the next thing. Uh, I don't really have an issue with it because I just don't answer my phone. I don't. Uh, If I don't know you, if you're not one of the 10 or 12 people that interact with on a regular basis, I just don't answer my phone. So I don't know how many spam calls I get because I don't, I don't answer them. I don't know. Hmm. Um, uh, But I've had surprisingly little. I've had my phone number for, 20 years. I've had it a long time uh, and I've had surprisingly little uh, spam. So I don't, I don't know why some people get a lot. Others don't. I work in a cube farm. And so we all, you know, in, in a space of a few hundred square feet, there's two dozen people and we all have phone numbers that are sequential in number, you know, seven, five, one, seven, five, two, seven, five, three. And, and you can on Tuesdays and Thursdays in particular, um, the, uh, Medicare Advantage Phone calls start coming in, and you can just hear them roll down the aisle, ring, ring. As soon as one uh, hangs up or goes to voicemail, the next person goes, and you know they're just on a script that hits our our bank of numbers twice a week, uh, and and it's just yeah, like you said, it's it's cheap and easy. Uh, so by golly, let's make something illegal more illegal, because you know labeling hate crimes has solved all crimes. So we would just need to call these hate robocalls, and that will stop all crimes. That it's it's a magical thing.
1: You know, I think you could prove that if you're robo-dialing, if you do something that robo-dials that you that is malice aforethought and that is a hate crime. So maybe, you know, we just need a good district attorney, maybe an attorney general to prosecute these under hate crime legislation. I think that, you know, I mean, why why not? You know, they got a lawyer anyway, so might as well might as well try something.
0: Yeah, because beating somebody up is illegal, but beating somebody up you don't like is even more
1: illegal. Right. Yeah. So. And, amen. <laughs> oh, how our justice system is deteriorated to the point of just bleeping stupidity. That was a free one. Sorry, yeah. that was just free.
0: <laughs> you know. I, I'm just reading this article, and it's it's talking about how, you know, robocalls is is one of the great problems of our Really? That's one of the great problems of our time. Really?
1: Well, if we weren't spending all of the time fighting off the robocalls, then look at all the time we would have to address, you know, other major issues of our time. What color was that dress? You know? Yeah. Um, so...
0: Senator Ed Markey, Democrat in Massachusetts, says, as the scourge of spoof calls and robocalls reaches epidemic levels, the bipartisan Trace Act will provide every person with a phone much needed relief. Thank you, Senator. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, let's not worry about that $21 bucks of deficit. We've got to worry about robocalls, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, uh, Homeless people, you know, vets dying, uh, you know, uh, Medicare uh, or Social Security that's going to co- collapse under its own weight, uh, 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 single-payer health care that'll never work. But robocalls are a scourge at epidemic levels.
1: Right. Well, you know, I mean, come on. Let's face it. We don't expect them to do much, so we need to make them sound like they're doing something, you know, by addressing this issue – yeah i mean you know like i say i would love to get rid of robocalls um it would make the world a better place but i mean in the grand scheme of things not much better um and who knows maybe it would free maybe how much latency would be reduced on the internet if we could totally eradicate all spam and robocalls just a just a thought we need to get some math people on that yeah
0: I I I propose a new rule in American politics at all levels, state, federal, and local, um, that any uh, public uh, public official who uses the phrase "I will fight for you" must then be required to step in a ring with boxing gloves and fight some other person who used the phrase "I will fight for you." Uh,
2: That'd be cool.
0: Yeah
1: that would be you know and 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 the proceeds can go towards the national debt yeah be, i <laughs> so, would totally
0: pay to see that because these politicians use rhetoric like i will fight for you you've never fought for anything in your life the biggest fight you've ever had is over who gets the last smear of cream cheese on the bagel in the break room sure, you you've know, never fought
1: anybody for anything you know, gonna one gonna thing this would do. Not your Libre masks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> this would increase the number of veterans serving in Congress because I would not want to, you know, vote in some 98 pound weakling who all he ever did was sit behind a desk. I would want to vote in somebody with scars from the battlefield. I will fight for you. <laughs> oh, see, that's even better. I hadn't so, even thought
0: about consequences. So if you lose the fight, you have to vote for something that the guy... Who, who won the fight, is pu- pushing, yes. right? Oh, You yeah. have to vote so, for his initiative.
1: I will fight for the right of big business to drill those oil wells to save American jobs. I will <laughs> fight for the environment to protect our planet. Round one, fight! new <laughs>
2: Senator for California, Hulk Hogan. <laughs>
1: I mean, it would basically boil down to yeah. Texas versus California. And since, yeah. you know, they're all social justice warriors yeah. and we're all military gun-toting warriors, yeah. I think it would go, go well for yeah. Texas, at least in the early rounds.
0: Senator Johnson is uh, a uh, former linebacker from uh, East Texas. <laughs> he's 14-0 uh, and 0 in Senator uh, death matches. And uh, he's going up against, uh, <laughs> that could be awesome. And the, telev- the television rights are, uh, alone could be worth millions
1: like i say it would put a dent you know we might get rid of our deficit spending and have surplus spending to address the debt so that would be i mean that would yeah. that could really work the future of american i mean i mean granted we just basically moved one step closer to idiocracy yeah. the movie but <laughs> it would be a glorious it would be a glorious slide i think so. i'm going
0: to run for public office with that as my platform that's uh that's what it'll be
1: Oh, dude, this is that's awesome. Yeah. So you know, it's is, is it a tables, ladders, and chairs match? You know, is it old school rules, Queensberry, yeah. whatever? You know, that would be awesome.
0: I, I'm six four, three 350 pounds. I I could I could win some races. I mean, I could take Pelosi down like that. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I I think I've got a good chance here.
1: <laughs> this would be awesome i would love that That's a, i i support your platform mark we can get a bipartisan coalition of states uh behind us here
0: yeah one of my other ideas uh when as long as we're just spouting nonsense uh i thought what well, the government should get into the movie making business right so you take jj abrams and and you take you know the rock and you give the like look you do this movie for us we'll give you a 50 percent break on your taxes this year and then you, you know, you got the Infinity War that made a billion dollars over uh, opening weekend. All that money just goes right into the deficit. It cost nobody. Everybody was donating their money for a 50% break on their taxes that year. It's a win win.
1: That would be cool. So I, I, that one, I don't know. That would be weird. I mean, would you, because then it's like, do you, don't you love your country? You know, I mean, look at the marketing on that. Do you love America? If so, you need to watch Nazi cheerleaders, um, (laughs) you know, of death or whatever. So if you um, don't
0: see this movie, you're a commie.
1: It's for the children. All right.
0: I think we have rambled long enough. I'm calling it time of death. Nine twenty (laughs) four p.m. November 18th. So, Seth, what happened this week in history?
1: all right mark well i just wanted to say for all of you non-history junkies out there that a lot of stuff happened this week in history i was going to. i could use that i could use that i could use that but mark the story i chose on is to let everyone know that on november the 18th 1970 bill gates starts programming and you talk about a and a A one event that impacted basically the course of electronics in America and the world, this probably had a lot to do with it. So Microsoft Corporation co-founder and longtime CEO, Bill Gates, gets his start in computer programming at the Lakeside School in Seattle. The school owned some early computers, and Gates and his friends spent nearly all their time pushing the machines to their limits. Time on Lakeside and other machines in the Seattle area was costly, however, so the newly formed Lakeside Programmers Group offered Information Services, Inc., free programming services on its PDP-10 in return for free time on the computer. The group designed a payroll program for the company in exchange. And Mark, that happened this week in history, and now back to you.
0: Not that long ago, 48 years ago?
1: Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know,
0: it marked the time when the world changed in a way that nobody ever could have imagined. You know, right. Bill, Gates, Bill Gates didn't change the world with his coding, but he changed the world because he was a coder. And, you know, if right. this hadn't started in 1970, yeah, that's interesting.
2: PDP10. I, the first computer I ever programmed on was a PDP11. But that was huh. in 77 so yeah a bit, bit after him and it just goes
0: to show you the uh the benefit of these uh partnerships between educational institutions and and corporate institutions um the uh what was the company i I've, i lost it, it um Inform- information Inform- services in, yeah information, information sciences services inc, inc. inc. They Science got they got a free payroll program. They didn't have to pay somebody to write it. because you couldn't go buy software in 1970. You had to hire somebody to write it for you. So they got free software in time for you know spare time, probably spare cycles on their computers. And <laughs> the world changed. So you know I've always been a bo- big believer in these sort of things, and this this kind of story um, just uh, reinforces that
1: belief. Well, look, they got it in time for their end of year processing. I bet so, um, or you know that might have came later because it, you know, I'm I'm sure that happened sometime after November 1970. Right. But you know, yeah, and think of the head up that would give you in terms of the money you would save because it now takes one accountant to do what ten accountants used to do, and uh, gives you a leg up on your competition.
0: I believe it was Wozniak. It might have been Gates. It was one of those two guys. I was. It was an interview from years ago where they were talking about the first time they went to a uh, uh, an accountant software and introduced the spreadsheet to them. These guys were working with you know uh, paper tables and slide rules and you know maybe the HP uh, hand calculators and they introduced this you know on the Apple the original Apple uh, spreadsheet and and he describes this accountant his hand is shaking. As he's writing the check, in excitement over the fact that he's going to be able to do months of work in hours. Now, uh, I think we—it's easy to lose sight of that. But the things that we do today on a regular basis, you know, that might take us an hour to do—writing an email—the simple act of writing an email uh, replaces technology that would have taken months the pony express the you know the the sending things across the the atlantic and mail we we do things today in seconds that would have taken months to do a hundred years ago and it's easy to lose sight of that um
1: Well, well even in the late 90s um you know mid well late 80s it at least you would You know, you would have these complicated programs on your desktop computer. You would, you know, check your formula. Is it right? You would hit enter and okay, off to lunch. Maybe it'll be done by the time (laughs) I get back. And now, you know, you better be trying to compute pi to the hundred billionth decimal point or something like that, because now I'll think of how fast computers are. Now, compared. It's just, it's amazing. And we take it for granted all the time.
2: And people who come after us, they don't even know any better. Right. Well, I think the other thing to keep in mind is that back in the 70s and the 80s, um, they were inventing something with very, very little before them. So, like a spreadsheet was the only thing that predisposed a spreadsheet before VisiCalc and, and all those programs was a piece of paper and a ruler. <laughs> Where you would draw columns and rows and you would do everything manually, right? And that's what the accountant's world was. To put that on a computer was revolutionary because nobody had ever done that before. You'd produce printout reports, which were tabular column reports, but never anything that was in real time updating like that. And, you know, so many other things were done, the word processor, the network, you know, video games… There was nothing before these. These were original ideas that came out of somebody's creative brain imagining something from nothing. And ever since probably the 90s, and I'm going to sound like an old guy, you know, thinking about the good old days, but truly anything from the 90s was leveraging off what came before it. So a GUI was just a pretty interface on top of a terminal, right? And uh databases were they continued to evolve but there was always something before them networks the same way the internet the same way these quantum shifts where they come from nothing somebody's just imaginary brain came up with something with nothing behind it there are times in our history that are revolutionary times and the 70s and the 80s was that for information technology and today it's everything's just a little step forward we we stand on the shoulders of giants and we don't have to do a huge amount to make a major step forward now but back in those days these guys were they were animals <laughs> what mm-hmm. they had to do and the risks and there was no such thing as venture capital money i mean you did it because you had this stupid idea and you wanted to do it. Um, but today it's a little different. So yeah, I have a lot of respect for those guys.
0: Wow, little mini tirade right there, unexpected, <laughs> a little, An, little one, unbidden.
2: Uh, so now, Seth, what do you
0: have this week to enthral in- thrill us all with uh, the the weirder side of the internet?
1: Okay, well, you know. Since we are kind of kicking off the holiday seasons this month, I wanted to uh, just let you know, if you're afraid of the zombie apocalypse or societal breakdown as you know it, you can head over to stealthangelsurvival.com and find everything from emergency preparedness kits, um, you know, think Army-Navy store, military tactical backpacks, uh kind of cool survival tools. Um, You know, for that one gift you can't find at elementop.com slash Amazon, you know, head over to stealthangelsurvival.com or, you know, last week's thisiswhyimbroke.com and see, um, you know, like I say, just trying to give you some options there. You can find, uh, they have all manner of price range for their gifts. And, you know, you don't have to be a serious prepper to understand the value of having you know, of being just generally prepared. You know, you don't have to go out and buy 25 years worth of survival rations. But, you know, it might be a good idea to keep a day or two's worth of survival rations. Um, And if you're like me, I'm not gonna eat them every day, but hey, I like the occasional MRE because I'm weird. So um, for the person you don't know what to get them for, you know, go to this website and just shop around.
0: I kind of want one of those backpacks. Those are cool. I love that we live in a time and in a world where paint it black, put some Velcro and a D-ring on it, and use the word tactical, and suddenly everybody wants it. Right. I mean, I don't know know what's different about a tactical backpack versus a backpack. I'm not sure what the word tactical means there, but it immediately makes it cooler.
1: Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's either I think it's a I think the word tactical means add twenty five dollars, (laughs) so that that might it's just a marketing thing. You can have a flashlight
0: or you can have a tactical flashlight. Which one would you pick?
1: Yeah, I would pick the tactical because it costs more money, therefore it's cooler. But no, I like the. The thing that I find really cool is you can buy like a 72 hour survival kit, um, or, you know, for one person or for or whatever, and it's like a backpack filled with survival stuff. Now, you could probably go out and buy it yourself uh, and come up to a cheaper price. But anyway, like I say, I'm not a prepper, but I do believe in being prepared. So, you know, so check out stealthangelsurvival.com. Uh, you know if if they if for the prepper in your family, and you know, you, of course, they might think you bought them junk because oh, everybody should always have that. But you know, they they would like that you at least thought of them well enough to head over to there and get them a gift card. Maybe they have gift cards.
0: There you go. And everything is either black or camo, so you know, day or night, you're covered. Yep. Do I need two tactical back- backpacks? Do I need both the camo and the black one? Just to be safe to, I I mean, when the sun goes down, do I have to transfer everything out of the the camo one into the black one? And uh, do I have to put a backpack in the backpack to make sure that I'm tactical?
1: No, no. Here's what you do. You get them both and you pack the camouflage one for one type of emergency and then you pack the black one for a different type of emergency. So that way, you know, you don't have one size fits all because if you're running for zombies, you're going to need a different set of survival tools than if, you know, um, somebody crashed and broke a gas pipeline and, you know, the world's going to descend into anarchy because there's no fuel anymore. So that's why you get the different color backpacks is to be prepared for different situations. I,
0: I love the S a dash F P one military style waist pouch known everywhere else in the world as a fanny pack, but it sounds <laughs> much cooler if you put some numbers on it and call it a waist pouch.
2: <laughs> yeah. I wonder what it would look like wearing that into Disneyland.
0: <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm going to see if they have one in a, uh, a size 51. That might be a, uh, because you know, you know, most of these tactical guys are built more like me than they are, you know, a, a soldier.
1: Yeah, probably. So, yeah.
0: Right,
2: good stuff, Seth.
0: I can always count on you to bring some randomness
2: to our world. Zombies I, don't I, discriminate. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you know, when, whenever you're looking for just that weird bit of data to make your encryption key just all the more impregnable, I can provide a service that few people can match
0: yeah i mean there's there's lava lamps uh, or there's seth you know take your pick
1: yeah it was um i was listening to a um i think it was one of the house um how it should work or how stuff works and they were talking about this one crypto company they have a wall of 50 lava lamps and that's what they Mm -hmm. use to Mm -hmm. generate entropy and i was like that's actually kind of cool so yeah um, all
0: right. This is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us, how you can comment, how you can let us know what's on your mind. You go to elementop.com, click the contact us button at the top of the very old web page. Yes, I know it needs to be updated. Um, answer the world's hardest CAPTCHA, uh, fill out the form there and that will send a message to me that gets priority in my in basket. Uh, so I, we, we like to hear what you have to say. We are We're doing one more show this year. Next week will be our last show of 2018. We'll be taking December off. Uh, so get your comments in early if you want them to be heard this year or uh, I'll stockpile them and, and we'll start next year. Um, but uh, do that. And this, this is what happens when we don't have a topic and I don't set a timer. We are now one hour and five minutes in and uh, we didn't really talk about anything, but we talked about a lot of things. This is the show as it used to be, only it's an hour shorter than it used to be. Yep. <laughs> um. But uh, we really do want to know what you, the listener, have to say. You are listening. Therefore, I'm going to assume you have some input, um, some feedback, some, you know, even if it's just boy." those are good to have uh, now and then. But seriously, just go and, and let us know what you think elementop.com. Or you can send an email to geekrant at elementop.com. That'll go to all three of us, lest you think I am filtering your crappy emails to the other guys. Uh or you can dial five five nine. I am op No, you have to figure out what those numbers are uh, from any uh, anywhere in the world, and you can leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice line, and and we'll probably play it right here on the show. And you'll you can be famous, internet famous, anyway,
1: um, or geek rant famous. There you go. <laughs> uh,
0: also, uh, you know, if you want to throw money at us, the way to do that is uh, Patreon. P a t r e o n. Patreon dot com slash elementopie. We appreciate that. For all your holiday shopping needs, elementopi.com slash Amazon gets just a little little cookie in your browser. I get a percentage of everything you um, buy. doesn't cost you a penny more. They just take a little vig, give it to me f- as a referral fee. I appreciate it if you do that. It costs you nothing. It is the most amazing form of slacktivism possible. It is literally no different to you. The only difference you see is a hashtag. At the end of your Amazon.com URL. That's it. You see that hashtag, you know you're donating to LMNOP. So I would appreciate it if you did that.
1: Well, uh, one word about that, Mark a lot of times whenever people click on links and you have those tiny URLs that redirect you to an Amazon site, they throw referrals, their own referral onto that. So you can think, oh, I set my referral link, but then you end up clicking on this um, product and then you lose it. And so then they're getting the referral. And, you know, and if you're somebody you're just passing through, it's no big deal. But if your desire is to, and if it's not us, if it's some other company that you want to support, you know, support whoever, it's just, you need to, to make sure the easiest way to make sure is right before you go to Amazon to buy stuff you head over to slash amazon in our case but if there's a different company that you support that you do that first to make sure you haven't inadvertently reset your tracking cookie by clicking on a link on from some other website right
0: good 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 uh, advice there and just you know full disclosure Anytime I link to, out to Amazon from my website, I put my own referral link in there. I, I assume that is known. That's what I'm doing, but I'm going to go ahead and say that. If you click on something to Amazon from my website, it's going to have my referral link in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I always make sure that every time I go to Amazon – I go to elementopi.com slash Amazon for that very reason. Cause I click around, you know uh, if you're, you know, perusing a blog or something uh, well, that's so, so 1990s. Uh, if you go to Amazon through any other fashion, you can't be certain that you're using the referral link of choice. So make a bookmark. Yeah. Those are still things people actually still use bookmarks for elementopi.com slash Amazon or what I do in, in my browser of choice, I just type E and the list of things that start with an E pop down. And I scroll down, I click on the one that says elementop.com slash Amazon, and that's how I always know I'm going there. Um, so again, it is the absolute painless way, except for making sure you click things. So minimally painful way. To give us a little support, uh, and you know, I think I said I was said last year after I did my taxes when, when everything was said and done, and after I'd paid all the the hosting fees and, and domain and all that, I think I made uh, about three hundred dollars profit for the year. This this isn't a money making thing for me, but every little bit that I don't have to pay out certainly helps. I would like it to be a money making thing. Don't get me wrong, but so far <laughs> it's not. Um, but uh, the Patreon numbers are up this year, and I appreciate that. So I may actually be able to send you guys some real money at the end of the year. I think what I, I gave you each a hundred bucks, I think last year, you know, it's something it's like not, that. Yeah. It's not exactly, um, I mean, on a, on a day like today where we did almost no show prep, even the almost part is, you know, we had to log in ahead of time. We had to make the, uh, uh, the show notes, you know, we copy a template there. There's not a lot there, but let's call it an hour, right? So there's an hour. Of prep there we've been on the air here for a, a little over an hour there was about a half an hour before that where we were talking to each other we got things ready when we're all done here these guys are gonna pack up their files and send it back uh, to me so that's gonna be call it 20 minutes each so that's 40 minutes between the two of them then I'm gonna spend about an hour or so editing and publishing it so for a show with no prep we've we've just talked about spent about five hours between the three of us all right so um, And then for a show where we're actually doing a lot of prep, that might be five hours each. And so you're looking at 15 hours. So let's just say that throughout the course of the year, the average amount of time we spend on a show is about six hours. I think that's a reasonable number, some more, some less. Six man hours spent for every one of these shows that we do. You know, that's not a lot, but it's six hours that we took away from something else. Six hours we took away from our families, six hours took away from our uh leisure time uh 6 hours that we um invested in this content and all i'm asking for you for 6 hours of work is a buck go to patreon.com pledge a buck a show i mean if, if if 6 hours of work isn't worth a dollar i mean even in in india you can make a dollar for 6 hours of work i mean you know if just think about it in those terms and i know you know we have these regular conversations where i'm begging for money I'm just asking to not be insulted, frankly. you know. Um, yes, this is a volunteer thing. We didn't start this thing for, for the money, and like I just said, we're not making any money. We don't continue to do it for money. We continue to do it for two reasons. One, we enjoy it, uh, but I think actually, that's actually the minor uh, thing. The enjoyment is secondary to the fact that we each have a goal to produce something that is worthwhile. We come here together because we want the six hours that we spend on this to be of value to hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of people. If that value is simply a snicker here and there, we win, right? If that value is education, so much the better. Um, but we do this, you know, we're motivated to do this out of altruism. It's not because we want to get rich or anything like that. But at the same time, it's kind of the very least you could do What is the least you could do? The least you could do is nothing, right? Not even download it, right? I get that. But, you know, if you're, I I don't want to be mean, but if you're, all you're doing is downloading and never giving back in any way, not sending an email, uh, not uh, sharing it with somebody else, not giving a review on on iTunes, uh, if you're not doing anything, you are in, in the most literal sense, dead weight. You are costing me time and money and effort. And giving me nothing back. You, you decide whether you're okay with that. Do you want to be dead weight? That's your choice. I'm just telling you that that's the way it is. You know, we're, we're spending, you know, we did f- uh, 50 shows this year, 48 shows this year at six hours each. That's 240 hours, 250, somewhere around there, hours of our work. Um, you know, if you spent 250 hours on something, you'd want some recognition, Right. I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm just telling you the way things are.
2: Pay the man.
1: Yeah.
0: Any other comments on that, guys?
1: No. I mean, I, I like your... Occasionally, you have to explain pay for what you like, and so... It's, it's sort of like you know you listen to you watch uh, in, in Dallas area it was channel 13 was public television and you got to watch Doctor Who and the British comedies and then a couple of Sundays or a couple of weeks out of the year was the telethon pledge to remind people hey it's listener supported and if you want to watch this you need to pony up so you know it's like pay for what you like is the catchphrase but then when somebody says what does it mean pay for what you like then you can say oh he talked about that at the end of the next the the last show and so you know we don't harp on it all the time but i guess once in a while you got to say it
2: yeah well let me throw throw something in there on that um i've been doing a lot of work in the last say six months on a platform called steam it which is a uh, kind of a blogging platform that uses the cryptocurrency steam to uh, pay content creators And it's an interesting dynamic, but what I found was that, um, you know, it takes a lot of effort to be a content creator on the internet, which is what we're doing here. You know, we're creating content, we're putting it out there. It might be in the form of a podcast or a YouTube video or a blog or something, but there's a lot of work that goes behind that. But a lot of the time that people have been doing it and trying to make money off this sort of thing, um they're not focused on quality. Now, on some platforms like YouTube and maybe your own personal blog or a podcast, we have to commit to a quality level, which means we can't just blurt out anything. I mean, we have, even though we criticize ourselves for not doing as much prep, the fact is that all of us, all three of us, have a fairly decent history in the world of content creation. We're not, amateurs at this. We, we've done this for a while and so we can bring something, we can bring talent to the, to the table. Whereas a lot of times what I've seen on platforms like Steemit, people are just pushing stuff out there that, which is irrelevant rubbish and they're getting paid <laughs> for this on the quantity over quality mantra. And I think that in this case, we're trying to produce a quality product and what we're asking for is to use things like Patreon uh, or the um, Amazon links or other forms to try to monetize equality. We We could easily produce crap <laughs> without any effort, any background, any research, just to push it out there like everything else. And you know what? In my opinion, the world would be a worse place. <laughs> Because quality matters and I think that part of what Mark's saying here is your vote and support for what we're doing is a vote and support of quality as opposed for us just pushing rubbish out there which we don't care about. Because I know all three of us, we care about what we're doing and we just want to see that you care about it too. That's all.
0: Well said. You know, I'm sitting here surrounded by about $5,000 worth of equipment that I purchased for the purpose of doing podcasts. Um, You know, Miles has a lot of equipment as well. Seth uh, doesn't have a whole lot, but what he has, I purchased for him. I sent it to him because I wanted him to sound good, and and I care about quality. So that stuff just doesn't come for free. And so, yeah, anyway, if you like something, pay for it, because if you don't pay for it, the things you like start to go away. I've been around the internet long enough to see that happen. The thing that I really liked but never paid for went away. Some things that I liked and did pay for went away because not enough people paid for. Pay for what you like or lose what you like. It's not a threat. I'm not threatening to pack up and go home. But the reality is that as my life gets more busy, as Miles and Seth's life get more busy, as the professional world and the family world, as they start to squeeze in, when you have to start cutting weight... You cut the things that people don't seem to care about. And and care, I don't know the emotions that you're going through when you listen to this. I don't know whether you laugh or cry or yell at your, your uh, phone. Care can only be measured in feedback or payback. So at the end of the year, when I'm looking at those two things, the 50 emails I got in the course of a full year and the couple hundred dollars that I got in the course of a whole year, It sure seems like not a lot of people care.
1: You know, and that that ties in. If you don't have the money... But you can still, you know, it's a lot of what we talked about. How do you get a job in the open source community whenever you're not a programmer and you're just trying to get started? Well, you can be active in the forums. You can, you know, do documentation, stuff like that. Now, don't try to be active in our forums. We're not even active in them anymore. (laughs) But because nobody cared. Right. But you could leave a review on, unfortunately, iTunes, because that's the 800-pound gorilla in the room. You know, share it out on your social media platform. of choice. Send us feedback. Hey guys, I was listening, you know, and I thought Seth's link was extra stupid today, you know, but just those kind of things are that's being part and that's giving back too. So, you know, hey, you know, money doesn't make the world go round, but you know, it, it helps you get around the world. So, but there's other ways if, if you can't do the money thing. So,
0: and, and I'll, I'll quote what uh, Door-to-Door Geek said on, on my other podcast. If your life is such that you can't afford a dollar for a podcast, contact me. I'll, I'll help you make some more money in your life. And I mean that. I'm not That's not sarcasm. If you're in such a, a sad state that you can't afford a dollar a week for a podcast, somebody needs to help you get a leg, leg up in the world, and I will I will do that for you. All right. Enough of that. I'm just going to say goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Uh, uh, for hanging out, Matt, Miles Seth. As always, thank you for being the consummate professionals that you are. And we'll see you next week for the last time this year, because that's it for this episode of the Geek Grant. And remember, pay for what you like.